0: This episode of Innovation Heroes is brought to you by Intel vPro and Intel Evo Design. Visit shi.com slash intel to learn more or click the link in the description of this episode.
1: We also need to look at how do we leverage technology to automate the things that are low value jobs, low value tasks, repetitive tasks. that. Realistically, should have been automated before, but we didn't see the need for it in the past because labor was fairly inexpensive.
0: Welcome to SHI's Innovation Heroes, a podcast exploring the people and businesses making a difference in our constantly disrupted world. I'm your host, Ed McNamara. In the face of global economic uncertainty, an ever-growing skills gap, and an acute shortage of workers, we tend to blame the pandemic for a lot of our current problems. And let's face it. COVID-19 wreaked havoc on everyone. There isn't a single industry that managed to escape its impact. But when it comes to our ongoing labor shortage, many experts say the problem actually predates COVID by a long shot, even if we don't want to admit it. There's been a gradual but seismic shift in demographics as boomers begin to retire. And well, the reality is there's simply not enough people to replace them. The help wanted signs are up. We just don't have enough young, skilled workers ready to fill the positions. So here's what I'd like to know. How are we going to fix this long-standing problem? Welcome back to season four of Innovation Heroes. On today's episode, we've invited back one of my favorite guests of all time, Stacy Shulman. Stacy is Intel's vice president of health, education, and consumer industries, and she believes that she has a solution to the labor shortage that's been right under our noses for years: hyperautomation. With over 25 years of industry experience, Stacy understands that solving the labor shortage problem isn't as simple as enacting new laws, increasing funding, or even retaining or retraining talent. The only real way out is to completely evolve the way we get work done, automating as much as possible across all industries like healthcare, retail, and much more. Stacy, welcome back to the podcast.
1: Oh, Thanks for having me, Ed. I always enjoy this podcast.
0: We enjoy having you. Thanks a bunch. So let's jump right into it. We hear a ton about the labor shortage. And as a company that's been hiring for 30 straight years, we talk a lot about the labor shortage here at SHI. But it's hard to get a detailed understanding of what's really going on on the macro level. Is it just us or is this everybody? So working daily across multiple industries, I'm sure you could probably help me out. What's really going on out there? And what are you seeing you know, with your thousands of partners and customers in terms of labor shortages? And what industries do you think are getting hit the hardest right now?
1: said, you know, we cover everything that touches people. So health, life sciences, education, retail, hospitality, you name it, the industries that touch people. And I think it is the number one issue that I hear from every customer that we talk to. And I'll say it's, we've heard it for a while. Everyone's accelerating on this. The pandemic has definitely caused some of that acceleration. But I mean, when we get into the statistics, we can talk a little bit more about about what we think is causing that as well. So just some stats to kind of get us grounded on this topic. And, you know, I always hate to bring the bad. I think we have to get grounded in these realities as well. So let me start with the healthcare industry, because I think it's one of the most important to us at the moment. Roughly a third of our hospitals, most of our states have about a third of our hospitals are reporting critical staffing shortages. Nearly 40% are saying that they have a nursing vacancy in excess of 10%. And you can see it in the job postings as well. So 45% increase in nursing job postings, 41% increase in job postings for clinical staff, 40% increase on non-clinical staff. So those are the people that keep the hospital running. Those are the office workers. Those are the, the, the landscapers, all of that. And so when we look at that and we dissect that, we're seeing that kind of that is an indicator for our other industries. So we started digging into those stats as well. And uh, it doesn't get much cheerier in other industries. So you look at the leisure and hospitality industry. So travel, hospitality, all of that. And we've seen a surge in travel th- this summer, but still 55% of the jobs, roughly 55% are have remained unfilled in that industry. And if you've traveled, you've seen it. We see the implications of that and all these stories about people getting stranded in airports and You know, the service quality going down in hotels and in restaurants, we're seeing this everywhere. And and so that's what we've seen. You know, when we look at kind of what did the pandemic do on this, you know, in the hospitality, we stay there. So just one month, November 2021, it's standing out in the hospitality industry. The industry lost about six and a half percent of the entire industry in a single month. Wow. And they still haven't been able to replace it. And so that's kind of the, I'll say the overarching stats that we're working with. And again, every industry that we looked into without exception, the stats look about the same.
0: Those are some real eye-opening stats there. And I know that some of the challenges aren't new, but they certainly you know, got worse during the pandemic. And who knows what's going to happen with some economic uncertainty thrown in there now. So what do you think led to this situation? And if it wasn't really caused by the pandemic, I'm sure it wasn't helped by it either, right?
1: Yeah, I think that we were heading here anyways. If you look at, you know, I dug into the aging population, the stats on aging population. We all talk about baby boomers. We've known it. But I don't know that we've connected the dots on the fact that those people retire right. at some point. right? And so a big portion of the population is over 65. And that is growing. And I looked at it further, and it's actually it's unprecedented where that, for the first time in probably the history of the U.S., that group's growth is outpacing every other age group. And that's rare. Right. And so, you know, when you have your population getting older and retiring, you're not going to have enough workers. And then the birth rate is down. So we're just not replacing our working population as fast as we need to.
0: And is it possible that the statistics are even, or that it's even worse than the statistics say? Because I often hear that one stat that they say that, you know, some people have simply dropped out of the workforce and I always scratch my head. I'm like, who can just drop out of the workforce? Like, well, I'm just not going to work anymore. Right. But so I always wonder, are they just unclassified retired baby boomers or is it, do you know if it's even more than that?
1: I think that there's two things going on there. You've got people retiring and you've also got people who are, I don't know that they're dropping out of the workforce, but they're, they're definitely realigning their values. You know, as you see these job openings everywhere, if somebody's in a job that doesn't align with their aspirations, like any other time, they're selecting to move. But I think, you know, with the pandemic, my opinion is that it caused people to step back and reassess a little bit more than they would have all at the same time. Generally, people reassess in big life events. And we all kind of do that. When a big life event happens, we reassess what our values are and where we want to spend our time. Well, we had the entire world going through a big life event altogether. And you know, my <laughs> nice. hypothesis on this is that we just had a bigger portion of the population reassessing their values and looking at where do I want to spend my time, especially considering that the life event was a health-related event which generally causes a different level of reassessment of our own mortality and the mortality of the people around us and gives us that sense of urgency of, well, I wanna go spend some more time with my family. I want better work-life balance and my priorities need to shift. So I think there's a little bit of that shifting of priorities where people are switching into different industries and rebalancing where they spend their time. And I also think that you know if you were 67, 68 working and we're doing that reassessment, and you could financially afford to retire. Hmm. You probably were pushed over the ledge of retirement at that point. So I think we've got a few things coming together all at the same time.
0: Right. Just on the drive in this morning, you know, we talk so much about the pandemic made people reevaluate what they want to do for a living. And then the story I hear this morning is that Florida can't get enough teachers. So they're not even requiring like a college degree anymore. I'm like, well, I guess they didn't want to teach in Florida because those two things aren't matching up here. But we'll move on from that. Okay. One of the ways to remedy what we're talking about from a labor shortage perspective is hyper automation. So from our previous chat, you know, I know you propose hyper automation as a way to solve some of these labor shortage obstacles can you give us a quick overview of what that is and what you think it will work as opposed to other traditional hiring and reskilling approaches
1: yeah and i wouldn't stretch as far as saying it's a solve but it's part of the solution okay i mean i think we have to take a multifaceted approach to this where we're looking at you know education we're looking at training new ways of training people kind of, we're going to have to take a or crowdsourced approach to education and getting the population trained up for these new skills. In addition to that, we also need to look at how do we leverage technology to automate the things that are low-value jobs, low-value tasks, repetitive tasks that realistically should have been automated before, but we didn't see the need for it in right. the past because labor was fairly inexpensive. At one point. And so now we see an opportunity of, okay, you you don't just need to automate, you actually need to automate a lot. And that's why I'm calling it hyper automation. So I'm not getting into the area of like we need to make everything AI. I'm not that far down the path. And I don't believe that, by the way. But I do think we have to do more with automation and driving more sustainable automation in businesses to help solve this problem. And by the way, I don't think this replaces workers. It just, augments the worker so that they're focusing their time on the more value-added things. So I think we used an example of nursing at one point. If you've been in a hospital, you've watched a nurse run around and turn off machines that are beeping. They rarely do anything but push a button. That can be automated and free up that nurse to actually go do some quality face-to-face activities with the patient. That's a small example. There's tons of examples of things where people are doing repetitive tasks versus doing that thing that is more, you know, I'll say a richer experience with a human face-to-face. So we would like to get people back to doing those face-to-face interactions and less re-inputting data types of actions.
0: You know, you say that hyper-automation doesn't replace workers. It made me think back to the 80s when, you know, having a computer on everybody's desk, we were all going to work four-hour four days and three-day work weeks and things like that. And that, that dream was never realized, was it?
1: Never seems to be. (laughs) We always fear it and hope for it at the same time. Right. And it's like, well, you know, I don't know. I don't know that we're ever going to be in a place where we can all just sit around and, you know, pontificate life and, you know, think about fun drawings to do, which is this utopic thing that people seem to paint. But the reality is that, you know, our population is going down. We have less workers. We have more work than people. And I don't know that for our. Workdays ever going to happen.
0: And in all our futuristic movies or movies in the future, nobody seems to be working. So, you know, it's definitely been the dream for sure. But you did talk about almost the fear of being replacement. And your nursing example makes me think of the other fear that maybe is a barrier to automation, but it might be the psychological barrier. And I think a lot of people just expect or feel better seeing a nurse come in and switch off an alarm. Do you agree? And how do we overcome these? psychological hangups, and embrace automation in the everyday world.
1: I mean, this has been the the issue since the Industrial Revolution, right? There's this is topic over and over again with a new framing on it. We always feel better when we feel like we're in more control and we're not leaving the control to the machine. I think this is about, you know, getting people reframed on what do you actually want to control and not control? Do you want to control pushing a button on a machine or do you want to control having a rich conversation with the person in front of you. And if you're a nurse or a clinician, providing, you know, getting really good real-time feedback from the patient and providing guidance to the patient versus, oh, hold on, I'll be back. I gotta go push a button real quick. So I I think that there's some of this, which is, yeah, it's as we get people comfortable with giving up control on this one thing that they're automating, that it it starts becoming normalized for them and, and we move on. And get them other better things to do so i think that's part of it is showing some inspiration what's the better thing to do and the other part is then demonstrating how it can be done and building the confidence that that thing that we're automating will still deliver the quality that they expect
0: and i think control has got to be a huge part of it because we don't think twice about being in a car that we're riding in at 80 miles an hour being built mostly by automated robots, but seeing that same car drive itself seems terrifying, right? <laughs>
1: right. I mean, look, if we're all honest, like having somebody else drive us is sometimes terrifying.
0: Even more so. Yeah. I trust the machine sometimes.
1: <laughs> yeah. And so I think, you know, it is that control thing. I think you're right. We feel maybe less certain with the machine making decisions because we don't have enough history with that machine. We don't know what their decision-making pattern is once we build that history i think it'll start becoming more comfortable there's plenty of things that are automated that we don't feel like a driver is needed if you've ridden on a train or light rail or, or anything like that you know it's not like the driver is actually physically driving that on a regular basis <laughs> and so i think that there are things that we've grown accustomed to and okay with autopilot in an airplane we're okay with that right but an airplane taking off on its own. We're like, well, we're not so sure about that yet because we're not accustomed <laughs> to it yet. You know, we're landing itself. We're not quite accustomed to it yet, but we will be. And I think for the cars, it's the same thing.
0: I mean, in theory, there's going to be no such thing as an Uber driver rating in the future. It's all going to be 5.0. It would have to be, right? But so there's nothing for us, for us to judge.
1: Or it'll be on the experience in the vehicle itself, or, right? You know, the amenities that you had, right?
0: That's a great point. There are a lot of unsung heroes out there these days, and no shortage of them in the IT industry. They're the ones businesses count on to save the day every day. That's one of the reasons Intel has created Intel V Pro and Intel Evo design. Intel V Pro is built to do what IT heroes need, and Intel Evo designs deliver what mobile users want. Combining these two platforms together creates a new class of stylish, thin and light laptops that deliver the elite features IT needs with the premium experiences highly mobile employees want. Supporting barrier-free collaboration, these devices help maximize productivity to let your team stay in the zone all day long. And you can be confident that they're safe too, thanks to comprehensive hardware-based security with below the OS protection, application and data security, and advanced threat detection. Now that the office can be anywhere, these laptops are designed to deliver multi-layer security, complete manageability, remarkable responsiveness, instant wake, superior video conferencing, and long real-world battery life. For the superpower to do it all, visit shi.com intel and learn more about what Intel has to offer or click the link in the description of this episode. The idea of machines replacing human labor is the stuff of science fiction and Steven Spielberg, and it's an overall intimidating concept. But Stacy's not actually talking about robots replacing surgeons or AI-powered lawyers. She's talking about automating a lot of the very repetitive tasks that take up a lot of unnecessary time and energy in a professional's day. So I was curious to know, how does automating really help solve the growing demand for high-skilled workers? Well,
1: there's a few examples. I mean, yeah, there is robotic surgery that's happening. And I do believe in that, by the way. I don't think that that will replace the surgeon. It's going to augment the surgeon. And there's a huge shortage on surgeons, by the way. I think that one, when we look at that, there are certain surgeries that are incredibly routine and low risk for automation. And those types of things, I think, will start getting, you know, automated. So an example is laser eye surgery. It used to be that the surgeon, you know, did all of that, but now it's fairly automated. And then you get into, you know, the more complicated things. Will that be automated? The industry is pushing that way. They're trying, but I think we're still some years off before we're ready for fully automated surgery, but there's definitely a lot of work being done there. And so, you know, how does this solve the problem? Again, I think it's part of it. We still need to train up more people. You know, we can automate as much surgery as we can. We're still going to be short the number of surgeons that are needed to do the job. And so we need to train more surgeons. Now, you can use automation for training as well. Mm-hmm. And that's another area that we're seeing you know, help solve that. But this is the challenge.
0: What I'm hearing you say is a lot of humans not being replaced by automation, but actually having their time used differently. And last season, you were on Innovation Heroes talking about passion projects and incorporating passion projects into IT. And one of the questions you asked yourselves about supporting passion projects was this. And sorry to quote you back on the podcast, but it's too good not to share. You said, how do we get artists and architects and creative people together with tech people to make things that are fun and delightful and experiential? And I really do think that there's a tie-in here, you know, and I just started thinking, you know, civilization itself didn't begin and people didn't start looking up at the skies and questioning things until they had just some time. We became more agricultural, like stayed in the same place, weren't constantly hunting and gathering for survival. We could actually think on a grander scale. To that end, could you dream of hyper automation to help free up time so that even things like passion projects and things like that can exist in the workplace because you do have extra time like that?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's my personal dream. And I think that it actually spurs innovation in ways that we couldn't even imagine, right? And again, we see that with the Industrial Revolution in the ways that we saw a creative explosion around that time as well. And yeah, we all see it in our own personal lives. When you get me out of doing something that's repetitive and monotonous, and you give me time to think about bigger, higher-order problems... I'm happier and I solve better things in general. And then I'll give another example of, and this actually came out of one of our passion projects now that you mention it. We had an example with the biopharma manufacturing industry. When we looked at it, we were trying to answer the question of why are T-cell therapies so expensive? These are therapies that can cure leukemia and Alzheimer's and those sorts of things. And they tend to be today still for the rich and very hard to get hold of for most people. And so we looked at it and said, why are these so expensive? We went and started analyzing this. What we found out is the industry is mostly manual still. You know, there's somebody who actually manually goes and tests the amount of sugar in the formularies. It goes and tests cells manually, destroys cells so that they can, you know, look at them manually. And it involves clipboards and a lot of times post-it notes and a lot of written notes as part of this really highly sophisticated therapeutics process. And we looked at and said, well, if we can take manufacturing approaches that we know at Intel and apply those into that industry and fully automate that or automate most of it, except for the the scientific experience part, what could we do? We think we can drive yields, which that industry has yields of about 1% per VAT in that space. If we can automate that, we can drive up yields, we can frankly make these life-saving therapeutics available to more people in the world. And so again, what happened there, that came out of a team being given enough time to think about problems that they thought were important to solve. And it's just an example of how passion projects work and how automation, when we start automating important things, it actually opens up a whole different level of solutions for the world.
0: Absolutely. In one of your comments on another question, you said That automation probably didn't happen as quickly as it did because labor was inexpensive. What are the economics behind hyper automation? And do you have any stats that you can share in terms of companies that are aggressively pursuing hyper automation? What are the economic benefits or what's the kind of the return on investment or the timeline that they're seeing?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I don't have stats, so I'm going to have to just stay with anecdotal experience on this. What I do know is that when you analyze companies in most of these industries into leaders and laggards, everyone in the leader category is focused on hyperautomation right now, every single company. So that stats 100% of the leader category is put this as one of their top priorities. And they'll call it by different names, but they'll they'll call it AI, they'll call it automation, but you know, kind of in that category of automating and, and leveraging more sophisticated algorithms to do some of that for them, that's hundred percent of the leader category. And then there's a pretty stark difference in the people that are laggards and, and their ability to automate. You know, we still have companies out there who are printing paper and filing things and filing cabinets as part of their process. And you don't see anybody in the leader category doing that in most industries. So I don't have stats, but I will say that. And then when you look at the kind of time to value on that, the ROI or, you know, however you measure that in your company, it depends on the use case and when you get that return. And so it's a hard one to answer. You know, it's a spectrum of it. I've seen process where people literally take things from one spreadsheet copy and paste it into another spreadsheet and email it to somebody as part of their process. And I'm not going to name the financial institutions that do that, but it happens in financial institutions <laughs> as part of your backend right. settlement.
0: Which is non-compliant in a lot of cases, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's copy, paste, and Excel spreadsheets. And I'm like, if all you did was like create a macro to automate that piece of it, you could probably get a whole person that could do other things. And so the time to value on something like that is pretty much one day. When we start getting into more sophisticated things around supply chain and these other topics that we talked about, fully autonomous stores or autonomous robots doing things, the time to value goes anywhere from a year to several years sometimes and sometimes less. But yeah, that's a spectrum.
0: And you touched on this pretty quickly, but you actually gave some recommendations in an article that appeared in Forbes last month. And I thought for people who are listening to... What's an easy way to get started? One of the things you said in the article is there's a shortcut I like to recommend to businesses just starting in automation. I ask them to look at the process that requires a printer or a piece of paper. I thought that was really kind of insightful because maybe we're thinking too big in terms of getting started and it needs to be done on a smaller level.
1: Yeah, I think so. I, I recommend everyone start small. It's where I've seen programs fail is somebody, you know, go try to start too big too fast and my recommendation is always like start with the really annoying things and i did this myself when i was a cio i actually took printers away from our manufacturing team they were furious with me by the way this was our accounting team was furious we digitized all of the records we didn't allow people to print stuff and man was it a culture shift for them i mean these were people who were printing emails and putting into the folders. And I'm like, you don't need to print the internet. It's there, available for you pretty much anytime. And so th- those types of things, when you look at that, and even in big companies, it is shocking how often people print. Then the next thing I would do is say anytime that is part of your process, you attach a file and email it to somebody else, go after those next. Because there's a lot of that too. You know, okay, I filled in a file and I emailed it to somebody so they could do their part of the the workflow. Attack those things next. And, you know, when you have those two areas, you know, it's amazing how then at that point you go, okay, you kind of instinctively know what to go after next. Anytime somebody has to input data manually, that's another one. A lot of that data that they're inputting manually, they're getting from somewhere. Right. They're not just making it up out of their head. It's, it exists somewhere. So automate getting that so that they don't have to type it in manually. So those are the types of things that I like to go after as a priority. And then we can get into robots and all of that later.
0: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. In terms of next steps and where we go from here, are there any examples out there of a country or an industry that's really adopted automation that can show success from it on a grand scale?
1: When I first visited Japan, well, not first visited Japan, but probably a few years ago when I went to Japan, I was just absolutely amazed at their full adoption of anything that's robotic. And not just adoption, love. <laughs> like if you haven't been to Japan, like this crowd loves a robot and everything that goes with that and the automation that goes with it and the efficiency that you get with it. And I think that we're seeing Japan as a front runner here because they've embraced this this population decline issue in Japan mm. a lot sooner than the rest of the world. right and have been talking about it quite a bit, you know, of their aging population. So, I'm seeing Japan do a lot of really good things with, you know, robotics, with companion robots, with elder care, delivery bots. Again, you name it, there's probably some kind of automated solution in Japan. And that's where I look to for inspiration in these areas.
0: And it feels like that in Japan, I mean, just knowing those headlines about the aging population that we've heard for decades, feels like they really put some action behind it.
1: Yeah, they prepped, they prepared. It's not taken them by surprise like it is us here in the U.S., quite frankly. Right. You know, we're like, oh my God, what happened to all the people to work? And it's like, well, if you were looking at the statistics, it's been happening for a while. And Japan is, you know, I just think that they were probably more data focused and I'd say more proactive about this, this issue than what I've seen in most other countries.
0: And then finally, what would you say to our listeners? What should they do if they want to explore automation and really start increasing their level of automation in the year ahead? Is there any place that they can go that you recommend, you know, for their research to start or where they can go to learn more?
1: That's a great question. I don't know that I have a great answer for that either. I would say, here's what I do. I go to companies that I respect and I try to find people there to talk to and listen to them. With that, I'll make an offer. You know, Intel, we have some really good automation in our factories. I mean, every part of making a silicon chip is automated. And it's highly, highly automated and really sophisticated. By the way, we still have our own challenges there too, areas for improvement. Okay, But we do have a program where we will talk to any company and open our doors to our IT teams and our automation teams for businesses to have a conversation to get advice from, from the people that do the work. So this isn't, you know, with salespeople who want to sell some things, we don't have anything to sell directly to people in here. We sell through resellers and Channel who take our chips and create solutions. But we do have a really talented IT organization and we regularly open our doors to give advice. And we're not the only ones. I think a lot of big companies do this. And so I think it's an untapped resource that most people don't know exists. But if you called up your sales rep for most large companies where you buy software from and asked to speak to their internal IT team about some of the automation things that they do, mm-hmm. I think most of them will say yes, and we'll get you in contact and we'll be delighted to do it.
0: That is great advice, as always. Stacey Shulman, this is your fourth appearance at Innovation Heroes. Each one is better than the one before, and I really appreciate you taking the time to join us today.
1: Yeah, appreciate it. And hopefully on the next one, we can go back to fun topics again.
0: Exactly. Back to passion projects, right? Which we did get into today. So that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah we sprinkled that in. Nice. Absolutely. So yeah, we'll come up with something fun. We'll have some good ones for, for next year.
0: That sounds good. Thanks again.
1: All right. Thank you.
0: There is a growing list of challenges for acquiring workers to service and keep clients happy in 2022 and beyond. And the reality is, organizations that don't innovate and automate will likely fall behind. With hyper-automation, organizations can meet these challenges head-on, realize their business potential, and fulfill their customers' expectations well into the future. Thanks for listening to this episode of Innovation Heroes. Every two weeks, we meet with the unsung heroes who are radically changing the way we live and work in order to tackle the major challenges facing transformational businesses. If you enjoyed this episode, then consider being our hero. Smash that like button and subscribe button to Innovation Heroes wherever you listen to your podcasts. Innovation Heroes is a Pilgrim content production in collaboration with SHI. Our producers are Brian Bruces, Christina Clark and Tobin Dalrymple with production assistance from Amanda Sheffer-Kavanaugh and Ryan Wetter. This episode of Innovation Heroes has been brought to you by the Evo vPro platform by Intel. For the superpower to do it all, visit shi.com slash intel.